The book of Revelation is probably the most exciting and at the same time the most misunderstood book in all scripture. The Come Follow Me study for 2023 is all about the New Testament. And the book of Revelation sums up the whole New Testament. In this podcast, we explore the book of Revelation in depth. The book of Revelation is full of strange symbols and images that make it very hard to understand. In this episode, we'll learn how to interpret those symbols and images. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who spent much of the last seven years studying the book of Revelation and learning what prophets and scholars say about it. Breck is a professional teacher and writer who has taught religion at BYU and written many books on religion and business. He is about to publish his research in a new book, The Bright and Morning Star, Finding and Following Christ in the Book of Revelation. Breck, give us some guidance on how to understand the heavy symbolism in the book of Revelation. Readers have puzzled for centuries about those symbols, right? I mean, there are so many, and they're so diverse. In the book of Revelation, uh, first verse, the Lord says, I have sent and signified a vision to John, the apostle. Now, we understand what it means to send a vision, but what does it mean to signify a vision? That's odd wording when you think about it. Yeah. Well, it, what it means is that the vision is full of signs and tokens that are significant. And it's our job to figure out what they mean. Well, there are a couple of keys to understanding the symbols in the book of Revelation. The first key is literally to look to the heavens. And I mean literally, look to the stars in the sky. A lot of the symbolism in the book of Revelation has to do with astronomy. Hmm. The stars and the planets provided John with what are called astral symbols, star symbols, uh, that, his, that his readers could relate to. Because most people of his time believed that the stars governed their lives, okay? Now, although John didn't believe that, he did know that astrology was extremely popular in the Greco-Roman society of his time. And everybody knew the stars and the constellations, and they understood uh, in their, from their perspective that it was all very meaningful, okay? Now, unlike readers today, John's readers would have understood that Revelation is a sky story. Hmm. That's very interesting. Looking at the stars and the constellations for understanding. That's fascinating. It really is. What do you mean by a sky story? <laughs> well, what I mean is that John drew on signs in the sky to represent God's plan. He used them as illustrations. Now remember that when God created the earth, he said, quote, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and let them be for signs. So Revelation is full of star signs. Hmm. John uses the age-old astrological signs invented by the Babylonians, like the constellations and the zodiac, to illustrate the plan of salvation. Scholars say that, quote, 
What is most remarkable about the Revelation, about these passages from Revelation, is that they demonstrate the author's use of astrology. It's all grist for the mill. The stars provide great symbolism. Well, we know that John isn't the only prophet who uses stars as symbols. Uh, in the scriptures, stars symbolize the children of God, for example. And Lehi's vision, he sees Christ and the apostles as sun and stars, right? Mm-hmm. And that's in First Nephi, first mm-hmm. chapter. Yeah. And do you remember that Joseph, one of the 12 sons of, of Jacob, in Joseph's dream in Genesis, 12 st- he sees 12 stars, and they represent the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, right? Right. right. And, uh, and Job, Job says that the sons of God are the morning stars who sang together and shouted for joy at the creation, right? That's a famous quotation from Job. So, and, and then there is, remember, there are all these apocalyptic books we talked about that have been dug up out of the earth. Yeah, we talked about that last time, yeah. Yeah, the apocalyptic book of Enoch, um, third Enoch, says that God knows each star individually and has given every single star a name. I think that's something. Wow. That's, um, that's mind-blowing right there. And, and the Lord himself, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the Lord himself compares the saints to stars. That's in the 20th verse of chapter 1. You know, um, if, I, if my memory um, serves me right, wasn't there a star in heaven when Christ was born? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a fabulous sure. kind of... Yeah. And you know what? We're going to talk about that. I can't wait. Podcast. That's exciting. Yeah. Star Beth. I know that temples have stars and planets carved on the walls. Is there a connection between the temple and the stars? Well, the early Christians believed uh, that there was a heavenly temple. Um, Paul says, quote, holy places made with hands are figures of the true holy places up in heaven. Okay, that's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And uh, there was a Jewish philosopher who lived at the time of Jesus. His name was Philo. And Philo taught that, quote, heaven is the pure temple. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So as in Revelation, most of the symbols on the temple are heavenly bodies. Same in Book of Revelation. Mm. Um, star stones, moon stones, mm. uh, sun stones, the Big Dipper on the wall of the Salt Lake Temple, well, these and other astronomical features are always included in temple building. Now, you have to ask yourself why. That's true. Um, and that was true in ancient times. Uh, for the first century Jewish historian Josephus, a lot of people are familiar with Josephus. Um, he lived not long after the time of Christ. For Josephus, the temple of Jerusalem, he said, was a mirror of the temple in heaven. So um, when he looked up in the night sky, he saw the, the sky as a temple and the temple on the earth as sort of the mirror of it. Wow. Um, because when he looked up in the sky, he saw the polar star, right? Mm-hmm. And the constellations rotating in a circle around the polar star. 
And for him, that was a, a wonderful symbol of, of the throne of God at the center and all the children of God, the hosts of heaven, you know, around him. Okay. You know, really have a sense that it gives me a sense of order, yeah. a sense of peace. Yeah. Uh, you've probably noticed that the Salt Lake Temple is covered with astronomical symbols. I have, yeah. And they show that the Lord's course is one eternal round. Have you ever heard that phrase from I the have. scriptures? One eternal, eternal round. round. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting that back in, in the year 1878, when the temple was being built in Salt Lake, uh, the apostle Orson Pratt, who was also an astronomer, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. he took observations of the quarter phases of the moon every quarter of the year 1878. Wow. And then he had the moonstones on the temple follow the sequence of those observations. Wow. So the temple can be said to revolve through the year. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just as the earth revolves around the sun or... Uh, it's it's all very fascinating symbolism. That's okay. that's actually exciting to yeah. understand that. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's all. It's all significant um, to the understanding the Book of Revelation, which is also full of uh, astronomical images. Mm -hmm. So that's one important thing to remember. Isaiah said that God sitteth upon the circle of the earth and stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That's, it. That's in the 40th chapter of Isaiah. The early Israelites saw heaven as God's tent, you see? Yeah. And the tent pole in the middle <laughs> was the North Star. Uh, they, they recreated the, 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 um, the tent of God the tabernacle right in yeah the wilderness yeah that makes a lot of sense and, yeah and later the temple of jerusalem is the tent of god right yeah so the traveling tabernacle with moses and the children of israel really right. was just one version of yeah. solomon's temple so, later yeah right very makes a lot and of sense was, and it was all based on the eternal round of the heavens very cool very cool um latter-day saints we do the same thing today the architect of the Salt Lake Temple once said, um, quote, the whole structure of the temple is designed to symbolize the great architecture above, unquote. You see? That's fascinating. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Now, how, what does this all, all this have to do with Revelation? Well, most of the book of Revelation takes place in the heavenly temple. It is actually happening inside a temple. Wow. The hosts of heaven surround the throne of God like stars, revolving around the pole star. Have you ever um, had a chance to lie awake at night, say camping and so forth, outside under the stars, right? Camp under the stars, and you look up, and what do you see? You see the pole star, right? There it is, and it never moves. It never changes position. But if you're alert, you'll notice that the stars move around it in a circle, right? Like a great wagon wheel moving in the sky. Yeah. And you may have seen time-lapse photographs of that hap actually happening. 
Well, of course, we know that's because the Earth is circling, is revolving, not because the stars are revolving. Right. But, of course, to John, the apostle, it, and to anybody who, you know, who looks up at the sky at night, it looks like the universe is revolving, right? It's circling around the pole star. Well, that was a great symbol for John, the apostle. Um, and John uses the circular motion of the stars to symbolize the great eternal round of God's um, kingdom. Because after a year, the stars always come back to where they started, right? Right, okay. right, exactly. Um, and through the annual march of the constellations, uh, John tells a story of the human family wow. that, that circles back to where it began right. in the presence of our heavenly parents, you see? Right. It, it's an interesting uh, symbolism that's at work um, where the, the sky, the stars in the sky, as they circle around the pole star, and as, as, as the earth circles around and comes back to its original position, all of that is very uh, meaningful to ancient people. And, and John uses that to illustrate the eternal round of God's plan of salvation. So like we hear about the Mayan temples and those kinds of temples being focused on the, on the sky and uh, in the spring equinox, I'm sure that there's some kind of connection between those temples in South America as well as, as our modern temples today. Yeah, it's common knowledge among scholars that ancient temple building was an astronomical. It was yeah. intended to mirror what's going on overhead. And that's not just true in South America and Central America. It's true in, in the Middle East. Right, right. right? Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. Um, it just makes me see the temple in a different perspective. Yeah. I'll notice different things as I yeah. go through it next time. Right. Yeah. Uh, above all, I think John loves the sky because he finds the Savior in it, symbolized in the sky. Um, he said this, quote, the scriptures say, this is the light of Christ. He is in the sun and the light of the sun. The power thereof by which it was made, which giveth life to all things, which is the law by which all things are governed. Even the power of God who sitteth upon his throne, who is in the bosom of eternity, who is in the midst of all things. Isn't that beautiful? That is that's, absolutely that's beautiful. Doctrine and Covenants uh, 88, uh, 7, verse 7. You know, even modern prophets use the stars as symbols. Um, quote, life is a journey one general authority taught, to get our bearings on the northern hemisphere, we look to the North Star. Um, and a prophet of God is like the North Star. We get our collective bearings from him. Close quote. That's a good example. Okay. Yeah, another, another general authority taught that, quote, Christ is our North Star. He is the source of our light and understanding. So that's, um, that's another General authority speaking of a star as a symbol of Christ. So uh, it's Jesus is the light, right? Overhead is the light of the North Star. And so we should steer our lives by that star, by the light of Christ. Okay. You know, I, I'm a photographer. I love taking 
pictures in the middle of the night on clear skies to see those beautiful constellations mm-hmm. and comets. And a lot of times when there's a, an event, you know, like in the sky, um, some asteroid or some eclipse or something, I'm always trying to capture it. And uh, the interesting thing is it takes a lot of time to set up your gear, to look into the, to gaze into the heavens. And uh, I've always felt an incredible sense of peace an incredible sense of order and confidence that there's a divine creator. When I look into the sky and see those constellations, when I see the sun, which um, gives life to the earth because of its light and energy, I can't, the, the correlation between the sun, S-U-N, and the sun, S-O-N, mm. is really, really a powerful correlation. Right. Um, it's really very, very cool. The, script, the scripture says he is in the sun. Yeah, the light of the sun. Yeah, and that's all very, 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 very nifty. Very powerful symbolism. There. Yeah, are all the symbols in the Book of Revelations related to astronomy? No, that's just one thing to keep in mind. That much of the symbolism has to do with astronomy. Now, here's another thing to keep in mind. When John shows us symbols like, say, blood moons or um, an enormous cube in the sky or a double-edged sword coming from the Savior's mouth. Well, these are not real, right? These are um, symbols. Mm-hmm. And um, he's illustrating spiritual things with uh, physical images, physical realities, right? Right. I, I, don't, I don't think it, that's really hard for me to understand for, as a layperson looking at this. Um, I'm not sure... I understand the symbolism of a double-edged sword coming out of Christ's mouth. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we'll learn that more as we That's continue. It's kind of a, a kind of an odd image, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But of course, what it means is that um, the the, uh, the the sword that's coming out of his mouth is a symbol of the word of Christ, right? Which cuts both ways, right? Works and, for you or against yes, you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's what that that symbol is supposed to mean. So anybody who thinks that a double-edged sword is actually coming out of Christ's mouth, well, that's very, you know, that's that, that's that's very naive, right? That's not what's happening. Yeah. What's happening is there is a powerful symbol at work there. Yeah, that opens a conduit to my understanding that I never had before. Right. Right. I love it. But why does John use symbolism at all? Why doesn't he just come out? plainly and say what he means because he can't tell us plainly what he means he can't do it plainly okay the thing is symbolic language is well the term we use is it's polyvalent which means that it can carry many meanings at once okay um if if you're in in chemistry in the chemistry lab we use the term valence to refer to the power of one element to combine with another element to create a whole new element, okay, an old new substance. Okay, mm-hmm. that's called valence. Okay. Um, for example, a polyvalent vaccine can actually immunize you against several diseases at once. Right. right. So some some vac- some chemicals are monovalent. That is, they only do one thing. But some other chemicals are polyvalent. They do many things. Okay at once. Mm-hmm. And it is the same way with symbols. A, a symbol doesn't usually mean just one thing. And that is definitely true in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, 
notice how the general authorities can say that um, the, the prophet is the North Star. And then another general authority can stand up and say, Christ is the North Star. Well, um, what that means is the North Star can mean more than one thing, right? Right, right, right. Uh, are they wrong? Is one of them say, no, 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 the, the North Star is the prophet. No, no, the North Star is Christ. Well, of course, they're both right um, because we can see in the North Star uh, several meanings at once, right? It could mean that, it could mean this, it could mean that. And it does mean this and that. That is to say, symbols often have many different meanings at once, okay? Um, can the North Star symbolize both? The prophet and Christ, well, of course, it sure. symbolize yeah. both. Yeah. Well, because it has many connotations, a symbol cannot often be interpreted in just one way. Um, as one scholar says about the book of Revelation, and I like this quote, it doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means. <laughs> <laughs> now, I really like that quotation. I believe that is true. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means. Right. In other words, it means, it could, it could mean things that you don't readily see, okay? Um, and what it means to you can change, right? Right, right. Um, from time to time, <clears throat> uh, polyvalent symbols abound in the temple. Um, if you've ever gotten a new gospel insight from uh, going to the temple, you know what a polyvalent symbol is. Uh, you may have had other insights in the past. Your former insights don't stop being meaningful. Right. But the new insight is meaningful for today. Right. See what I mean? Right. In other words, a symbol in the temple can mean a lot of things to you. Right. 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 So all of them at once are, are useful. But the new insight, you just add to the others. Right. 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 You build one. And, and it can mean all of those things. Right. So it's, it's, it's false to say, well, a statement like, this symbol means that, and only that. Uh, or to say that A equals B, but never C, okay? Um, that's not enough. It's never enough. Right. Uh, the spirit might whisper something about the symbol that is meaningful only to you. Um, does that mean that if I see something different that I'm wrong? No. No. Of course not. The value of a polyvalent symbol is in the revelations you receive as you ponder it. You know, I guess that's why we're encouraged to continue our study yes. over yes. years and years yes. and years. Yes. You know, yes. Really, um, the, book, you know, the Book of Mormon says, you must press forward feasting upon the Word of Christ. Christ. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think about that feast and I think, well, it's not all the same thing. It's not. it's not all burgers and fries. You're going to get a great menu of delicate and wonderful revelations as you feast upon the Word of Christ. As I, as I think about what you just said, I, it makes me think about the way I was brought up and how I joined the church. I was basically loved into the church. You know? And I find myself you know, 17, 18 years old realizing that I probably needed to, to understand what we believed. So I was staying with my foster parents, Don and Joan Conkey, and uh, living in Atlanta. And the first thing I did uh, was um, I, I listened to the Book of Mormon on tape. Back in the day, they had these cassette tapes that were like the dramatized version of the Book of Mormon. 
And every night before I went to bed, I listened to these tapes for like 30 minutes. And before long, I'd gone through the whole Book of Mormon and the dramatized tapes was like a play. Like I could understand, like in our previous, you know, in our previous podcast, we talked about the curtain coming back and the play of life being there. And I, I just became completely obsessed and fascinated with it. Since that time, I've probably read the Book of Mormon and studied, you know, probably more than 60 times in my life. And wow. I, I read it 10 times on my mission. You know, I just wow. really poured into it and I just loved it over the years. And about 10 years ago, I was in Jerusalem with a dear friend of mine, Jimmy Toro, and we had a Messianic Jewish guy named Hannah, and um, Hannah was taking us on the Temple Mount. She was she was giving us some information. We were standing right in front of the Dome of the Rock, which is, uh, of course, a Muslim mosque these days, but it's the site of Solomon's Temple, the first temple period, and the second temple period, you know, the great temple that Herod built. And uh, she was going through this kind of history and this this logical kind of discovery. She's saying that now we know the destruction of Solomon's temple happened about 586 BC. And, and then she was going through the chronological reasons why we know that because the archeological evidence, because the writers and all these other things. And I looked at my friend, Jimmy, who happens to be LDS and, and, um, and I said, Jimmy, um, um, we already know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father Lehi taught us that. Right. Right. In the Book of Mormon, and and Nephi talked about this right. in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. I already know that, and uh, and in an instant, it was the strangest thing. I've been a student of the Book of Mormon my whole life, passionately loving it, telling my kids, you know, the graphic stories of the battles and bringing it all to life. But in that moment, on the Temple Mount, my faith in the Book of Mormon being the Word of God turned to knowledge in an instant. Yeah. And in that one thing, in that one thing, I no longer believed it to be true. I knew it to be true. But I had 35 years of reading and reviewing and pondering and considering. And and to this day, I still listen to the Book of Mormon daily. And I I receive insights and um, understanding that I never would have received 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was young in my testimony. very inexperienced with those things. Yeah. The spiritual insights we have to work for. We study. If we study the book of Revelation and study the symbolism and contemplate, um, the uh, the revelations come, right? Right. And that's that's why we have it. Right. So that we can receive these uh, revelations that we need. And that's why John couldn't just tell plainly what he meant. He wasn't writing a textbook. He was writing um, a temple text that would enable us to get many revelations from the symbolism used. And um, that's why I say that polyvalent symbols are so important. They lead us to Christ. Every whit of his word, says Alma, points to that great and last sacrifice, the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. You think about uh, symbols um, were used throughout the scriptures to point to that great and last sacrifice. There's so many. And the book of Revelation is full of symbols of the atonement of Christ, as we will see this year. Now, John also uses symbols to uh, compare and contrast good and evil. For example, in chapter 12... There is a virtuous woman who represents the Church of Christ. He sees a, he sees a vision 
of a virtuous woman. Well, in chapter 17, he has another vision of a vicious woman, okay? <laughs> and uh, she is clothed in scarlet, and she represents the church of the devil, okay? So uh, you have these two women, and they are uh, striking contrasts of each other. And in another instance, you have three antagonists, um, a dragon, a beast from the sea, and another beast from the land. So you have these three, the dragon and the two beasts. And they stand in opposition to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, wow. So you have That's an evil cool. trinity and a holy trinity. That's see? very cool. And um, they compete for our souls. Yes, they do. Those, those two groups. Okay. Uh, in, in another example, blood is all through the book, the book of Revelation is full of blood, and it's, some it's, people are put off by that. It's but, gore, gore. But blood movie, yeah. in the book of Revelation symbolizes, of course, the violence of war and death. Right. But it also, and sometimes at the same time, which is very interesting, uh, stands for the healing blood of Jesus Christ. Oh. Okay. So it's polyvalent, you see what I mean? Right, it's right. Means, it could mean both, but depending on the context. Right, now, right. The symbols in Revelation are not some secret code that somebody you know figures out. Uh, it's it's not a secret code ring. Somewhere. Not like Da Vinci, the Da Vinci yeah, Code. Yeah, with Tom it's not. Like, it's not like <laughs> this is why this is what Latter Day Saints know that other people don't. Symbols in Revelation are based in the temple. Okay, and on the stars, and on the scriptures. Um, and it helps to study what the material uh, meant to the people of John's time. It help, that helps, too, so that we can get a, a handle on what he meant by such and such a, um, uh, a reference that we don't understand, right? To sum up, okay, scriptural symbols are not simple. They're not one-to-one. -one. They're not A equals B, okay? We have to be alert, the many possible meanings of John's language if we want to understand Revelation. We should always ask how a symbol works within its context instead of insisting that it means one thing. Okay. Um, obviously, John saw that by means of symbols, his readers would grasp the truths he was teaching. And his symbolic language is not a stumbling block. It wasn't intended to be a stumbling block, but a gateway to revelations for ourselves. You know, Breck, this is this is really uncovered for me. Um, the real reason we need to go back and read and study and ponder all the scriptures over time, especially revelations, right? Because the more time we spend with it, the more understanding we gain, the more that the more we get out of it. And it may be something you know, 20 years ago, it may have been one thing. And today it may be a completely different thing because truth comes to us at different levels of us, of our understanding. So thank you for that great insight. Um, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the story that the book of Revelation tells us. Thanks for your time. <laughs>